Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. How long have you been kind of coming to our church and doing things? Six Probably years? Probably six or seven years. Six or seven years. So immediately he's part of the family. He's part of the Awakened family. We're very inclusive. We love people, especially guys like him, because right from the first time we ever met him or heard him, he was one of us because he's fun and holy. Yeah. And he has uh, crazy wisdom around marriage, relationships, and everything. Um, but just this last winter, end of last year, he officially became a member of Awakened Church. Yeah. He's always been family, but now he's a member and family of Awakened Church, so he actually calls Awakened Church his church. That's right. That's right. It's been the greatest joy of my family to move over in this last year. It's been one of those things where um, it, it's funny how when you are around communities that are thriving in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's easy to feel like, oh, I have access to that power and to that faith. And then you come every Sunday and Wednesday night and you're immersed in it. You're like, man, it's so easy not to realize how much you give up not being planted, deeply planted on a regular weekly basis in a church that is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're so, I, it was just like going through the last couple of months, my wife and I are just like, man, may we never take for granted this moment, like what we can feel, the appreciation that we get to feel right now. And like, like Pastor John said, Awaken's been our family for years, uh, but it's, it's a different thing to, to be inside, yeah. yeah. Love it. Well, we love having you as part of the family. Amen. So tonight, um, we are going to get into it. We have uh, some questions that were sent in that we're going to ask along yeah. with some, uh, some other questions. Uh, should we get to them all? I don't know. Who knows where this is going to go, Dr. Brian? You never know. Come on. Know. It's yeah. going to be good. It's going to be good, but should we kick it off? Well, yeah, you kick I it just want to say, wait, is the yes, so the title, um, we are going to tackle some questions around uh, dating and singleness just to kick us off um, for a little bit here. And then I think, honestly, but you know what, you guys, we're only going to like dab our little toe in on that because we have our, uh, let's talk about it, um, on March... 11th. So you guys need to come. John and I will be sharing on that panel. And I have so much to share, you guys. That's like so all much. dating stuff, right? All dating, relationships. And I have so many new things to say. Seriously. I'm so pumped. It's like my favorite thing. I want to go. Am I going to find oh, out new go. things about me, too? or no? Yes. Oh. That's how we do it around here. Yeah. Uh, but tonight, so I just want to, like, present this. So you know, we are holy and fun, and we love celebration, all those kind of things. But I've also, with the the, the questions that were brought in, um, there was really a theme there, and a lot was around relationship repair. And so, you know, we can have fun and joke around and have a, you know, a good time up here. But tonight, we actually want to go a little bit deeper because we realize that people are actually deeply hurting. And, and really, we want to take advantage of every single moment we have with, with not just a full-on Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled believer, but someone who's actually tr is trained in this to really help us all. We, we want to help make sure everyone heals and grows and moves forward in strength. And so tonight, we're just going to kind of, we're going to go a little deeper. 
We're just going to go a little deeper. If you want to... How much deeper can we go? I don't know, John. I don't know. I know. I know. We... You need Let's to, get to the first question. Well, I'm just saying, and I told our Bejo family this, you must listen to all, it's, I'm actually, I'm not suggesting, I'm telling. I, I usually, you're not allowed to require, but I'm just going to say it. I'm going to require all of us to go back and listen to all the messages that have been shared in the central region on relationships specifically, because every single one, every single one was life transformational. If you even applied one thing each speaker said, your whole relationship would be transformed. And so I really want to encourage you guys to do that. But um, yeah, so tonight's going to be good. We are going to heal up and repair. But let us go with, are we ready for the first question? And it's a three-part question. I don't do well with that. I lose track after the first one. But he's a doctor, so he could probably keep track. I'm a a bunny trail kind of communicator. I get lost. Yeah, and if but if you get lost, I'll remind you of part two and three. Okay, so... Ladies, we hear regularly women are frustrated that they are not being asked out. What can women do to get the invitation? And what do you think the reason is that they are not asking the men? So what is the reason the men aren't asking? But what can women do to get the invitation? Um, Yes, so feel free. I I have lots to say, but he's a professional, so I'm going to let him speak. It's hard, but I, I want to know what you would say. Can we go? I have so much to say, but I'm not going to. I'm waiting for the 11th. I'm going to come to the 11th. I'll leave Sarah at home so I don't stand out. Um, if, if you feel like you see that pattern that Pastor Becky is describing, a pattern where men are, on average, statistically staying single longer and avoiding marriage longer, that that's actually real. That's not in your head. That's not subjective. Dr. Lisa Dunn and myself are actually working on a book right now talking about the bachelor epidemic. Where is it coming from? What's causing it? It's very real phenomenon. It's well studied. Um, it's well observed that for the first time in at least um, 60 years of really good data, we have the lowest rates of marital um, engagement in men uh, over the age of 30. So it's a real thing. We, we have some pretty good idea of where that's coming from. We, we probably have the first generation of adult men who are raised with electronics. And there's a, there's a powerful impact there that there's a phenomenon that happens when I have, when I have a constant, easy, and accessible, and immediate source of dopamine other than relationship. When I can access video games, when I can access social media, when I can access something, my brain gets the hit of oxytocin or dopamine that it thinks it wants, and we end up with a generation of men that I think have kind of an, attention, um, an attachment deficit disorder, that they're accustomed, they're normalized, they're acclimated to very low levels of attachment. And then you, you put that person in their bonding years, you know, like early 20s, and their early 20s become late 20s, and then late 20s become early 30s, and they, they move on. And a couple of side effects of that is, A, nothing is quite good enough because they have this idealized image of what their wife or marriage or relationship should be like. And so that's fear of other, right? Fear, are, am I going to find somebody, is, is the person that I, is the real life flesh and blood people that I have access to, are they good enough? Will I be disappointed? And will I fail? Because when men don't grow up with the... Uh, the friction of relationship, 
being challenged, failing, realizing that it's, it's safe to get it wrong, that you're still loved, that you're, you can grow through failure, you can grow through getting it wrong, then they lack the, the, account, the emotional accountability of that other person's humanity, and they get into a place where that feels good in the moment, and then later they actually don't trust themselves. And so it's fear of self. And I think that's what we're looking at in adult men who are avoiding marriage later and later and later. Um, and there's also another side of that story, as you alluded to. I think that's the biggest problem. Did you know I wouldn't have said all that because I don't know stats, but I would have said some of that. <laughs> For reals. I'm co-writing a book with Dr. Lisa Dunn and Pastor Becky. <laughs> we want it to be salty, so we're going to invite Pastor Becky. Spicy. Uh, and I've, gotten, I've had the honor of, of kind of processing through that experience with um, some women who are moving from early adulthood towards later or middle adulthood, and they're still asking that question, like, why, why hasn't this happened for me? And almost always when I'm getting to process through that, I haven't, I haven't, that's not my specialization, so I haven't done that with tons and tons of people, but um, you realize, man, there, there are experiences earlier in my life where maybe I... Um, stigmatize the kind of natural energetic exchange that happens between two people who are expressing uh, interest and availability to that. I stigmatize that. I think that's not what a godly woman does or that's not what um, a responsible or mature woman does. And so there's this posture that they take on that's highly reserved. And, and the narrative they had in their head is to be godly means I have to show no interest and I have to be very reserved and I have to wait for somebody to come to me. And so we, we process through that and there's a little bit of a grieving process in that when they realize that and they give themselves permission like, okay, I, I need to show that I'm interested in the people around me. And, and there's really, it's almost, um, it's almost frustrating because the ways that we do that are actually so incredibly simple, right? The first, number one, most important thing you can do is be a part of a community where the kind of men you want to marry are located. That's the, that's the most important thing you can do. Because if you're not a part of that community, then the men you're around aren't being sharpened into the person that you want to become yeah. married to. Yeah. Uh, because the, the men that you marry, if, if, I'm, if I'm talking to single women right now, and this is true for men too, the person that you marry is not yet the person that you really want to be married to. They're not there yet. We cannot look for perfect people. No. We have to. I'm not saying lower your standards to the ground. Um, that there's an order of operations that we privilege where a person is going above where they've been. But we also have to privilege where they are today above where they're going. We can't marry somebody on the promise of future breakthrough. So we have to ask the question, um, it, it, Am I comfortable with that other person being a messy person in process? Do they show me clear, not that they're perfect today, do they show me clear character signs that they are people of growth, that they are yes. submitted under covering, yes. under authority, under men and women like Pastor John and Pastor Becky, where they can be seen and sharpened. And they are, if you see that, I, man, that character quality would cover over a multitude of sin. Cause I know, I know where you're going. If you stay there, I know where you're going. Um, and so letting that person be in their humanity um, and letting yourself smile at them, letting yourself uh, show them that you, you want their attention and their energy, you want to be connected to them in ways that are obviously appropriate. The, the best way to start that journey out is in groups. Thank you. Um, but 
Yeah, like giving yourself permission and reflecting on, have I, have I drawn myself inside waiting, thinking that that's what godliness looks like, waiting for somebody to overcome that wall, that lack of interest, and, and pursue me? Wow. That is great advice. That's why we have him here. I wouldn't have said that. Um, that's kind of how we started, though. Well, it's you, like you it's, took a chance on me when I wasn't I, perfect. Yeah, tell them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because it's not Mr. and Mrs. Perfect. It's Mr. and Mrs. Right, but no one's ever going to be perfect. Right. You were not. No. Were yeah. You, yeah, I wasn't perfect. I was, I, was, I was a Christian, but I wasn't necessarily following God. Like a real God. one. Until I met <laughs> Becky... Before she was a pastor, Becky. Yeah, I was a mess too. But she was a lot further along in her relationship with God than I was. But I was hungry for God once I met her. Because I always, I just, sometimes we just need a good woman to kick us into shape. And uh, so she kicked me into shape. And I was like, finally, I found a woman that loves God and that's cute. (laughs) That I was attracted to. And so that was it for me. I was like, you guys know the story. She told me, I'm not going to marry you unless you tithe. So I started tithing. And, um, and from there, we just, you know, yeah, I was so, teachable, I guess. Yeah, well, right? that, that's what we tell everybody. So, like, you're waiting for them to have it all together. Oh, I need a strong leader. They're supposed to lead me and all these things. It's like, honestly, at the end of the day, he, I was way farther along in my journey, but he was so hungry for the things of God, and he was teachable. I think that's, like, the, the, the deal breaker. We always say, if they are not teachable, run. You, you have to run. It's like a, the biggest red flag. It's because like, so what makes you think you're going to marry them? They're going to actually listen to wise counsel when they're going down the wrong path. They're going to do stuff that's going to destroy your marriage or your finances or whatever it is. And so it's like the biggest thing is, are they teachable? Will they receive instruction, correction, wisdom, and guidance from other men that carry those things? And that is the non-negotiable. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah that, that's how it was. So yeah. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Right, yeah, not Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. Perfect. And I didn't just like, I wasn't just like a controlling freak about tithing, just so everyone knows. It's because, because I knew that most marriages, a lot of the reasons marriages fall apart is because of dysfunction in finance and the stress of it. I needed to make sure he understood that God was our provider, not him and him alone, because he can't bear the brunt of that pressure he was never meant to. And so I was like, I don't want finances that come between us. And if we're both understanding that when we're obedient to the Lord and tithe and bring our offerings, that God will provide everything that we need. And I wanted to remove the soul pressure from him because I didn't want to get in the way of our relationship. So I just need to clarify because when you say that, I sound mean. No, you sound sound smart. godly. Okay, I sound I say, so godly. One of the other powerful... It's kind of sexy, actually. Oh, just a, I did wear red lipstick tonight. Second, what you're saying... I'd say the number one trait is that I would look for in that future spouse is, are they teachable? And then number two would be, how do they respond to my boundaries? Do they respond to my boundaries with honor and they're ready to like grow and and like grow into who we're going to be together? Or do they respond with protest and they're trying to talk you out of them? That's, that's one of the red flags I don't overlook, Uh, but they're allowed to be messy. They have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's God designed relationship, marriage, most of all to be the vessel of our sanctification, right? It's that intimate mirror that's so, it's such intense emotional proximity that we really can't escape even when we really want to. We can't escape that proximity and we have to face, ultimately not our spouse, we have to face ourselves. So we know they're gonna grow in the process. We wanna just make sure that they're people who will do the growth. So good, we need a clap. That was awesome. Thank God. Pastor Charles, are you taking notes? Because I'm not, okay, I need your notes. Yeah, Thank you need to send him copies. Send me those. 
All right, so this one, when Pastor Tessa and Charles gave their amazing message together, and even when John and I chatted, this is kind of a theme, and I feel like if we both struggle with this, uh, a lot of people probably do. Um, What advice would you give someone who is in a relationship with someone who immediately goes to the defensive when you bring up a concern or issue? They become defensive. Yep. So I'm trying to bring up something critical. Yep. And they just go into defensiveness. Um, the How did that happen? Why does that happen? Well, it happens for two reasons. <laughs> Relationships would be perfect if it wasn't for the other person. Relationships... <laughs> Relationships would just be pure joy. The problem, the most difficult part of marriage and the most difficult part of any relationship is the other person. And so, obviously, they're going into defensiveness. When we bump into each other, what spills out of me is data about me. It's also a reflection of the way that you're showing up. We are not, we don't get to hold our relationships accountable for our reactivity. We don't get to hold them accountable. In fact, there was um, a, a lesson that I'm learning in a whole new way. Recently, I, I joined jujitsu a couple of months ago. I don't know if there's any other men who are being peer pressured into jujitsu. <laughs> You're getting peer pressured right now, or you joined? You already do. It. You already do. Okay, so it's too late for you too. <laughs> if you haven't done it yet. It hurts so bad. It is a lot of fun, though. One of the things you realize is, uh, I I remember talking to my buddy John when I was there. I'm like, I'm just looking for other white belts because I don't want to roll with these really intimidating, like, brown belts and black belts. And he's like, bro, you got it backwards. You do not want to roll with other white belts. They are dangerous. They call them, in jiu-jitsu, they call white belts spazzy because you have all of this strength and intention and reactivity, but you don't have any training. And the way... The way you get to a place where now you can, I, I watched this, uh, this brown belt, which is just below black, very advanced, this brown belt, a guy named Wes, he was, he was rolling with a couple of, me and a couple of other white belts, and it kind of looked, I was watching him, and I was like, have you ever seen like a dad wrestle with their toddler? Yeah. Where they're like, you got me, good job. <laughs> it looked like that, it was like Wes was like, good job, buddy, and you could tell that he wasn't even breaking a sweat. What you realize when you see a really highly trained person with somebody who's untrained is that the untrained person is more dangerous because they're not in control of themselves. Reactivity, what, what comes out of us when we're in a tense moment, and it's so easy to say, oh, I got really angry or I shut down because of you. No, I shut down because of the way my brain codes threat. That's why I shut down. I, I blew up, I lost my temper, I got manipulative, I got defensive because of the way my brain Reactivity, what it means is reenact. It, it goes to the strategies that felt like safety in the past and it reenacts those strategies. That's what we do when we feel overwhelmed. And so when we're talking about somebody who gets really defensive, what we're talking about is somebody who feels that they're under attack. You both do and do not have control over another person, right? If I am, when I get frustrated, hurt, I'm bothered, I'm overwhelmed, I take on a posture that is critical or accusational or intense and it sounds angry, I am going to probably elicit a self-protective response from my person, my best friend, my uh, spouse, my child. And so we get to take ownership of the way that we show up. I taught, we, we need to own our armor. I can't take ownership of the way that you show up though. 
I need you to do that. And so it's helpful for me to, A, think, why are they doing it? They're doing it because they feel threatened. They're doing it because they feel under attack. And so one of the things that we can do if we're, if we're working with somebody is we want to send them the message, I can see you. Like, let's say they're, they um, have promised to do something really, really basic, like a household chore, and they've promised several times, and they keep, like, forgetting to do that. I want you to know that I can see you. What that means is, honey, I know that you don't mean to forget this. I know that you really want me to, want to be dependable. But when you do this again and again, I don't know what to do. It's frustrating. I don't know what to do. The most powerful intervention I have in that moment is not my, my very careful word choice, even though that's important. My most powerful intervention is my level of affect, my emotional state. Because our nervous system pays 80% attention to the other person's emotional state. Which is like, I can say things um, that would probably be like borderline inappropriate to my daughters, like, you are the worst. I can say that with a big grin on my face while I'm hugging them, and they know dad is actually saying that he loves me. Why? Because information is trumped by affect every single time. I can also say, no, I'm not angry. And I wouldn't fool any of you. You say, my nervous system, particularly if you're curious, I know this is one of those moments I nerd out. So I can be like, well, my nervous system senses (laughs) otherwise. Yeah, have you ever, have you ever seen a couple, uh, seen a couple, this is you. Have you ever seen a couple like, um, why are you angry? I'm not angry. (laughs) No, you're angry. Why are you angry? I'm not angry. You're definitely, well, now I'm angry because you won't like get off my back. What's happening? One person's sympathetic nervous system, that's particular, there's, there's three branches to your nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is the part of your nervous system that desperately wants to synchronize with the most important people in your life. And when I feel your tone, your posture, your facial expression, when I feel those things communicate something incongruent, no, I'm not angry. My brain says that information, the words you're saying, is totally unreliable. What's reliable is your affect, is your emotion. So what we want to do is, what we want to do in those moments is we want to be aware of our own armor. And so what I'll do is, with Sarah, is I'll literally call out, okay, I can tell that I'm feeling really defensive right now because she's not surprised. She already knows that I'm defensive, whether or not, I want her to know that I know too. I want to say, maybe if, if, if I'm the person that's encountering that defensiveness in my spouse, or in my best friend, or in my child. Okay, I can tell that I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I'm sorry, I know that I can come in hot. I know that I can come in intense. I'm really sorry about that. I don't know what to do in these moments. What we wanna tell the other person is that A, I can see you. I know that this is not your intention. B, I can see my armor too. Your nervous system can feel it, but I'm also aware. So you don't have to convince me that I'm angry. I can see it too. That communicates a lot of safety. Um, And then last thing we wanna do is we don't want to force the solution in the moment when things get charged. I have become very, I've grown and I've learned to be highly suspicious of any emotional signal that brings with it urgency. Do you know what I mean? I must say this right now. I must do this right now. We have to solve this problem right now. That urgency is fear-based. And the more I give into that sense of urgency, the more I'm almost certainly going to cause both of us to go deeper and deeper into what we call self-protection, which is the anger, the defensiveness, the shutdown. Those are all forms of self-protection. So um, that last piece being 
give it space. Say, hey, I don't know what to do about this. Let's, can we talk about this tomorrow? Can we, can we talk about this when we're both cool down? Or maybe this is just something you can think about and you can get back to me. We want to be able to say our piece. We want to say, I can see you. I can also see me. Um, I don't know what to do. That's actually a really important piece. I don't know what to do. Signals to them, I'm not trying to fix or solve or control you. I don't know what to do. My, I'm going to tell too many stories, but yeah, I'll, well, I'll leave it so, there. So I have a question because I actually, John and I were dealing with this this morning. Um, Convenient. So. <laughs> Holy Spirit. I, you know, was needing to get, get a message to him. And, and then when I got the message to him, you looked like you hated me on your face and reacted defensive. I don't know what to do. But then, but then I, because I, I then just shut down because I'm like, this is not going to go anywhere good. So I just like, okay, whatever. And I get in the car and I go to work. And then after a couple hours to like get all, a lot of the emotion out of the way, I left him like a four and a half minute voice message about how, and I was very controlled. I said, I, we have to break this cycle. I feel like. I say things to you, and then this reaction and the look on your face, like, looks like you are disgusted with me and are mad, and so then then I just shut down, and I don't want to talk, I don't want to keep talking, because it's already heightened now. Like, I can't even talk to what I want to talk about, because it's already heightened, and we're already in a bad spot. Like right now. So I left a four and a half minute, yeah, I left a four and a half minute voice memo, and then he sent me a five and a half minute voice memo back. What did you tell me? We just are now talking about this for the first time. I said, if you want a, basically a better reaction, then maybe think about the presentation. Which is both truthful. But I also said, yeah. but I also said, I didn't give myself. He did say he loves me. I, very, yeah, God. very mutely at the end. Praise God. Because um, I do love you. I know you do and I love you. Okay. Um, but I also said that, you know, I will try to do better, even if you, your presentation does not um, deserve a good reaction. Um, but, but basically what, what happens to me when she does stuff like that, I, I don't know how to control it because my stress level just goes whoop, and then I react. And then I think about it later, and I'm like, I probably shouldn't have done that. But then I think, well, she probably shouldn't have done that. He doesn't feel like he has a choice. Because I brought it out. My body didn't give me the option of being calm. Because he was in not fight or flight, he was in fight mode. So help us, Dr. Brian. No, I feel like you. (laughs) No, I feel like you kind of answered it. We got eight minutes. I, no, I wanted to bring up the fact that he told me, even though he needs to take responsibility and figure out where he got to the place where he was so defensive when I try to bring up these things or whatever. So he's got to figure that out. And he's accountable to God, not to my what I'm doing. And so he has to figure that out because he. we always teach, like, don't rise to the occasion. If they're heightened, do not meet them there. Yeah. Like, just because they're... They're rising doesn't mean we need to rise, you know? Um, So we always know, like, we are responsible for our own actions, this and that. But I actually was throwing myself under the bus a little bit, even though you have your responsibility, too, is that (laughs) at the end of the day, though, you're right. Like, so I'm not aware of what my face is doing when I'm saying these things. I don't know if I'm being overly dramatic. I don't know if I'm drawing out the worst of him. So while he has to take responsibility for his own reaction and emotions in that moment and say the things you just said, so that'll be funny when we try next time. 
We'll be like, okay, that's what Dr. Brian said. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, like, I also need to take responsibility and make sure I'm not unnecessarily causing it to be more challenging for him to control himself. Remember when we were talking about singleness and we said the other person has to be allowed to be messy? That's, that doesn't stop when you get married. That only becomes... Even after 20 years. More true. Wow. Is that, this, is what, this is what I think is so beautiful about the way God designed that covenant is it's this place of really unique, you can't escape, right? It's such intense proximity. I get so exposed that the most vulnerable part of me gets reached by your, uh, your hurts and your anger and your frustration. And so what is the gift? The gift is I get to see my own fear. That's the real gift. Not that I, I, I also get to love you through yours, but one of the most precious gifts is like when Sarah is frustrated and she's coming at me really intense and I get defensive, I get access to fear I wouldn't have access to otherwise. I get to ask the question, where is this defensiveness coming from? When Sarah comes at me really angry, I feel not good enough. I feel like I'm failing. I feel there's, there's fear underneath my defensiveness. And when I can name that for her, we transform conflict into a bonding moment. Because when your partner turns to them and says, man, I can tell that I'm really defensive right now. I, I hate feeling like I let you down. And they give you some authentic, authentic sadness, authentic anxiety. All of a sudden, your nervous system shifts and your body wants to care for them. Like, oh, thank you so much for telling me that. It's a natural thing. It's what we choreograph in therapy is we, sh we shift the focus to a place of vulnerability. And the other person goes from protecting themselves from them to now I want to be protected by you. When we can access that vulnerable piece. And that's what, give, that's what marriage offers because it's super easy in 99.9% .9 of our relationships to keep that person just far enough away that it's easy to believe I don't have the raw spot. I'm not operating in fear. Before I got married, I thought I had arrived. I thought I had worked out my trauma. I thought I had worked out what I was growing up. My family members called me the volcano because I had a very big temper. And as a young adult... I worked on that really, really, really hard. And I remember this one time when I was asking uh, Sarah out. Uh, it was one of our, like later in our relationship, it was a really special date. And my mom was getting all worked up because there were all these plans. And I, she was getting really angry and really upset. And I was so zen. And I remember thinking, I figured this thing out. <laughs> I have cracked this code. And in the first couple months of our marriage, I remember hearing Sarah in the other room telling one of her best friends, she's like, it's weird. Brian never gets angry. And I just remember thinking, I'm Jesus. I've gotten there. I cracked it. You fast forward a few more months, and Brian found his anger again. Because marriage doesn't leave you. It does not allow you to stay in that place where I can delude myself with this idea that I'm not carrying fear. And the only, only way we can deal with fear is by experience. We have to come in touch, in touch with it. Wow. But, yeah. Brilliant. I, are we so grateful we have him tonight? Helping us all. He's helping us all. Um, this is a question that I think everyone could probably glean your wisdom. Um, how do we build trust when trust is broken? And obviously, trust is broken in friendships and, you know, engagements and everywhere. Yeah, so how do you rebuild trust once it's trust a, is broken? It's such, a, um, it's such a critical question because, like you're saying, Pastor Becky, it gets, it gets broken everywhere. And even, even within the same category of relationship, it can get broken in small ways where um, you let me down, you, you forgot about the plans we had, you 
told a white lie, you covered something up, or it can get broken in really, really big ways that can cause what we call an attachment injury, a severe, a severe wound to the relationship where trust gets really, really broken. Um, and it's interesting that even though the process is much deeper, the process is basically the same for both of those two tracks. First of all, just like Jesus teaches in John 8, there is no repair without truth. So sometimes a couple will try and start the repair process without what we call full disclosure. And that, and that might be hidden behaviors, it might be something else, but we have to start with the full truth. We cannot build on partial truth. Trust will never be built. It's, it's incredible where I've seen couples years later where one person, they even agreed. One person said, yes, there's more, but I don't wanna say it. And the other person said, I don't wanna know. And they just tried their hardest to quote unquote, put it behind them. We, our nervous system, your limbic brain, particularly your, your hippocampus, it is not designed to quote unquote, put things behind them. Why? Because when we treat something as really, really dangerous, it's too dangerous to talk about. Our brain codes it, it stores it away as dangerous. And that brain, that danger doesn't resolve because distance, time doesn't heal anything. Time and safety, time and direct experiences of safety heal just about anything, but time doesn't heal anything. So when we talk about the we have to start with trust. Um, and the second thing you're going to need is what we call uh, ownership. If there was a breach in trust, right, if somebody really violated the relationship, they said something that was untrue, they did something with money that, was, uh, that lacked integrity or, or worse, like infidelity or something, just like we were talking about before with that, like the, the person who's been wounded, what we, what we might call the offended spouse uh, or the offended person in the relationship, we have to normalize, of course, in that anxiety, safety was taken away from me in a relationship where my brain desperately wants to know I'm safe. That's what attachment relationships are. It's our brain's primary source of safety. I, I heard one of my favorite theorists, a woman I was trained by in therapy, she used to say that the whole world could be at peace. But if your primary relationship is in chaos, you're gonna go out into the world in chaos. And the whole world could be in chaos. But if that primary relationship is secure, you're gonna go out in security. And that is what our relationship with God is. So our ability to say, okay, if there's been a wound, we have to anticipate, of course the other person's gonna experience anger. That's normal, adaptive, healthy nervous system response. They're gonna experience anxiety, fear. What the other person needs to be able to demonstrate is tolerance. I can tolerate talking about what I've done. Without tolerance, meaning if I haven't dealt with the shame or the guilt that I'm carrying around the thing, you can't heal. I cannot give you security that I don't have. I have to face myself in the mirror. I have to get around men, women, other people that I can work through. What is that? Why do I become dishonest? Why do I uh, have inappropriate relationships? Why do I hide things with money? Why do I do this thing that's breaching trust? And I need to come to a place where it's like, I understand where that came from, which is what we call insight, and I have accountability. So those core pieces, once you have truth, we need ownership, insight, and accountability. And those are the three ingredients that if we can do that, we create the conditions of really responsive communication. And one of the things that when we're healing, our brain says, I'll know we're healed when they stop bringing it up, right? Like that's what we think healed is. And the, one of the first things we reframe in the process, no, 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 we'll know we're healed when you don't mind them bringing it up. When they can bring it up, 
And you can say, hey, I get it. I totally understand that you might have waves of anger when you think about that or waves of fear. I'm here. You know me. I, I'm here to talk about it anytime you need. Why? Because I've healed my relationship to that violation. And that's when, when the, because this, this, is what, this is what I've observed, getting to walk through with hundreds of couples over the years with really, really profound breaches of trust, is that it's really not the accountability or the insight or even the ownership. It's really not those three ingredients that heal the trust in the other person. Me hearing that you're under accountability and you're taking ownership of this thing and that you're understanding why you did it, what left you vulnerable, why did you make those, those things are all incredibly helpful. They help me what we call organize. I make sense out of this bomb that went off in my life. But the thing that actually communicates and downregulates my nervous system and makes me feel safety again, which is what we're talking about when we talk about trust, it's your nervous system. When you feel really calm as we're talking about this hard thing, my nervous system synchronizes to that. And over time, I'm like, oh, I, I just feel like I'm not worried about it. I don't think about it anymore. Or I don't go to that place. My brain doesn't start to perseverate and, and, and picture. And what is it that actually that he, all those ingredients are critical, but it, it allowed the offending partner to get to a place where they could become really, really calm and responsive. And the calm is actually what told the other partner, I'm safe now. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. Charles, you write that down. You got all that? Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> okay, we did wanna like ask one more question, but I actually realize that something you said right there could become a pastoral care nightmare for us here if we don't clarify how to do this appropriately. So full disclosure, yes. how does one do that in what environment and does there need to be a neutral party that makes sure no one murders each other? Yes. So when we have more and a more extensive breach of a more extensive violation, we have maybe a behavior that went on for a long time or happened many times in different ways. Then we do what we would call a formal full disclosure. Um, what we generally do, if, if, if it's a more severe situation and you can grade this to whatever the need is, um, pastoral care is, I actually think really well-trained pastoral care is the ideal setting for this healing. Um, yeah, that's a different yeah. conversation. Uh, where we can, A, allow both people to be processing through that individually. So if there are things that I have not yet confessed to my, the person that I'm in a relationship with, my spouse or my, um, some, my loved one, whatever. If there are things I have not yet confessed, I want to be able to say there is more, but I'm, I, don't know, um, I, can't, I don't know how to talk about this. I'm too scared. I'm going to shut down. So what we're going to do is immediately we're going to say the way that I demonstrate responsiveness to you today is I'm going to go meet with Pastor X, Pastor this person. I'm going to go meet with them, and I'm going to get everything down. Because the idea of telling you is too scary. And we're going to prepare to sit down with you and for you to have your own support person. And we're going to go through the entire account so that everything's on the table when something's more extensive. Um, and there's, it also gives an opportunity to, to um, identify what we call essential disclosure because every detail is not important. Thank you. I was going to ask that question. Yeah. That, that, that does require some wisdom and discernment that's really difficult for the people in the wound. If I've committed the offense, I want to give you as little information as possible. If I've been offended by it, I want to know everything. And my brain really doesn't want to know everything. We seek data because it feels like a form of 
false safety or control. I want to know all the details because it feels like I can relegate. I can contain it if I know everything. Really, I'm just going to be haunted by a lot of those details. So we're able to identify what we call essential, essential disclosure or essential truth. And then we sit down together. We cover the data. We break apart. We allow both people to be supported immediately. And we talk about next steps in more severe, because a lot of times we're talking about something that's, that's a little bit more localized, maybe something that happened once or something that happened a few times over a short period, um, and, and that more, more robust process isn't necessary. But in those cases, it's, it's game-changing for sure. Thank you. That's incredible. Yeah, that was good. So you've, you've, you just said you've seen hundreds of couples and you've seen the full, sure. yeah, yeah. the full spectrum of... Uh, mistrust and brought people through to trust. So can you just talk about, um, I guess, encourage us in that, like you've seen the worst of the worst come back and repair yeah. trust? You know, it's, I, I always feel a little bit of trepidation when I, when I share this because um, it feels, it feels hyperbolic. It feels like I, like my brain says, there's got to be people in the audience that don't believe this when I share this fact. But literally in uh, whatever that is, 12 or 13 years of doing this work, getting to work with hundreds of couples, specifically many, many, many times of infidelity, I have actually never seen a couple end their relationship because of infidelity. I've never seen it. I've seen, I've seen couples end their relationship for other reasons while going through the healing process of infidelity, but there are always clear and identifiable reasons. I am ending it because you refuse to take ownership. That's different. I'm not ending because of the infidelity. I'm ending because you refuse to show up in a safe way. That's a really healthy thing. It's, you applaud that person for ending the relationship under those conditions. I've literally never seen, when both people really show up and do the work and become vulnerable, the person who did the offense takes real ownership and tackles their, what they need to tackle. The other person takes ownership of their wounds, their anger, and they go through the healing process together. It sounds crazy, but I've literally never seen infidelity and a marriage. Yeah. Come on. Wow. All things are possible with God. All things. When yeah. you surrender your life yeah. and grow and heal, all, like, all things are possible yeah. with God with a surrendered life to yeah. the process. It's yeah. so beautiful. That's so encouraging to know. One of the most difficult things. So no, it's telling, he's telling us no matter how hard things get, no matter what season you're in, do not let the devil wear you out yeah. Yeah. because all things are possible with God. How beautiful. Man, we're, we're always in a state of, um, you know, pain. And I, I don't actually say that in a really a, a distinctly negative sense, but pain is like discomfort, right? Life is difficult. Growth is painful. Avoiding growth is painful. We are always in one of those two buckets. I'm in the bucket of avoiding the growth that I need to do, that God is calling me into, the breakthrough, the, the character development. I'm... I'm in the pain of avoiding that growth or I'm in the pain of doing that growth. And I always go back to this story. The very first time I ever spoke at the marriage getaway several years ago, um, a couple came to see me and he had about 10 years of extensive hidden, hidden behaviors. And it was so amazing to go back to the marriage getaway one year from that date, maybe two weeks after I got to intake this couple and for them to be in a place of not not just like we've we're no longer in crisis but they were experiencing a friendship and a connection that they didn't even know that they should have expected from marriage right like it's a, it was a connection that they didn't even know was on the table um and and like you were saying 
it, it really is not about, our brain wants to tell us, our fear wants to tell us, our story is too bad. Our conditions, our circumstances are too big. That is pure fear. It's just fear. It really is not defined by the circumstances. It is defined by our willingness and readiness to surrender to the Holy Spirit, for both people to come under that covering, um, and to just let him do what he wants to do. Yeah. So wow. good. Come on. That is incredible. Come we on. Can we like give we it up for forever, Dr. Brian? I know. Can't. You, we just can't talk forever, but I wish, I really wish we could. Um, would you pray for everyone, Dr. Brian? Is that okay? Oh, we all stand. Let's all stand to our feet. Man, if you are, um, if you are here tonight, and as as we're talking about like these real life situations, uh, there's there's a there's a place in your life that you can identify. Man, there's there's growth that God wants for me. Um, there's like a scary place He's calling me into. Maybe deeper vulnerability in my marriage, deeper vulnerability in my relationships. If there's, as as we're talking about that much deeper territory, that much more raw and kind of sensitive place. If there's a place where it's like, man, there's something that I've been too scared to share or something that just came up and we're in a lot of pain or we're in a lot of fear. Um, and I think, I think that growth edge, that includes all of us. Can we just like lift our hands? We're going to come under the Holy Spirit and we're just going to say, thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for every single pain point, that our pain and our tears actually have purpose in your love, that you can transform every fear every wound, that your grace and your love and your power can transform every single point of pain into joy and freedom. Lord, I pray over the couples who are struggling with deep, deep pain. God, I pray where there is pain and fear, Lord, you would highlight that like like a dashboard light on their car that says, pull over because you are ready to heal. You're ready to move. You're ready to, you want to invade those places where there's fear and there's pain. You want to bring new hope to the parts of their relationship, the parts of their identity, their parts of their love story that, that feel filled with fear or fractured by a wound that they don't know how to make sense of. Lord, we pray for new hope into those cracks, for your light to come through and that they would have the freedom and the courage, Lord, the courage to support themselves, to, to include, to reach out and to not go that journey alone because you have not called any of us to heal on our own. And Father, for, for people who are in a season of life where, um, where they're waiting, their, their, their hearts are longing for something that hasn't happened yet. Lord, I pray for new expectation not lowered expectation, God, new hope, new expectation, new energy that gives them the freedom to step into joy that you have designed them, that the most attractive quality they will ever have is not a level of fitness or a level of bank account, it is a level of joy. God, I pray for joy in the hearts. If they are weary, if they are anxious, if they are afraid, if they are questioning, if they're wondering, if they're feeling alone, new levels of joy and connection in their communities that the people around them would see a new depth of their identity unlocked and that would give them new connections. Lord, we pray and we trust in your power, your love, and your plan. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. 
or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.